Welcome, International Church of Prague. We are so thankful that you've gathered together to worship the Lord and spend some time in His Word together. Trev, thank you for leading us in musical worship today, where we can encounter the presence of the Lord and express with our hearts the love that we have for Jesus. But you know, there are moments in our lives where the weight of circumstances make God seem distant. We may feel that His presence is hidden from us, We see this through the Psalms, where the psalmist cries out, God, are you there? But often, the case is just the opposite. With God asking the same kind of question, where are you? Do you know how much I love you? Do you desire me as I desire you? To a large degree, we are often as close to God as we truly want to be. We want to know he has our back and that he will bless our plans, but we give little effort to pursue him as a personal abiding relationship. Today, we begin a new series entitled Pathways to Knowing God and Making God Known. And my prayer is that your heart for God will be enlarged, that you will discover that the Lord is the true desire of your heart. Humanity was created to walk with God. According to Genesis, God walked in the Garden of Eden to be with Adam and Eve, but they rebelled and sinned against God through disobedience and hid themselves from God. You know, even today, so many thousands of years separated from the creation of Adam and Eve, there's something about being in nature, about being outdoors, in a garden area that stirs our souls, that revives us. And I believe it's an echo of Eden. There's a part of us that still knows that we were made to walk with God in the beauty of what he has made. There's an echo of Eden in each one of us. And my prayer is, is that as Jesus has provided a way for you and I to once again have a relationship with God, where he takes away our sin through his sacrifice on the cross, that we will choose to then pursue an intimate relationship with the Lord and discover that he is that deepest desire of our heart. Humanity has been striving against God throughout all its history instead of walking with him. But it doesn't have to be that way. Genesis chapter five, verse 24 says this, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Hebrews chapter 11 describes Enoch walk with God this way. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now this was before he was taken He was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So what about you? Do you want to walk with God? Thomas Watson, the great Puritan minister, put it this way. In heaven, the saints rest with him. On earth, we may walk with God. We are to draw near to God and to see him. There's no walk in the world so sweet as to walk with God himself. Well, where do we begin? 
Well, first, we must respond to God's offer of salvation and life through faith in Christ Jesus. A walk with God is a walk of faith. It is trusting in and treasuring God above everything else. So that's the first place. We need to examine our own hearts and to see if we're just going to church, if we're just thinking about religious things, or whether or not we have genuinely trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior and are choosing to follow Him as our Lord. And if you have questions about what that means, please email us. We would love to come alongside of you and be an encouragement in you discovering just how amazing a relationship with God is. It's what you were created for. But also remember, faith and practice has two components to it. It is both trusting in God and treasuring Him above everything else. So the second question is not just have we trusted in Him, but do we treasure God above everything else? If not, do you want to? The good news is that God promises us in James 4, 8, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So let's begin our journey. Every pathway has a trailhead. It has a starting point. And your journey towards intimacy with God and the joy of living before his face begins with desire. You're as close to God as you want to be. If you want life, To be full, it begins by cultivating a desire for God himself, to know him, to love him, to spend time with him. Not just desire his blessings, his gifts, but to desire God himself. Desire is an important important starting point for any relationship. It is the degree of value that we place on wanting to know the other person more that's reflected in our desire. Desire for God needs to become a habit, a driving force in our relationship. David had a passionate heart for God. That's why he's called the man after God's own heart. Here's how he expressed his desire in the Psalms. He says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Is that what you desire? If not, would you join with me right now in a word of prayer and simply ask the Holy Spirit to create a growing love within you for God himself. He can create a passion within you for God in your heart. Ask him to to fan the flames of your desire for God and replace a lukewarm, blasé attitude with a deep abiding longing for closeness and intimacy. Father God, I come before you and I join with each person that's watching today and ask Lord that your Holy Spirit would teach us how to desire you more. In fact, would you enable us? Would you draw us to yourself? Because the truth is you are the one who is pursuing us. So Lord, would you create in our hearts a desire to know you more. And then Lord, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the faith? Would you give us the discipline to pursue knowing you by spending time in your word, time in prayer, time in meditation, so that we can grow closer to you, to know you 
and Lord, to desire to make you known. This is our prayer, Lord. And would you hear our prayer, both as individuals and as a church, that we may grow during this season in intimacy with you. We pray all these things in the mighty, all-powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, a good place to begin is to assess your relationship with the Lord. So who is God to you? What is your relationship with him? Is he the sovereign Lord, the holy creator, a righteous, all-powerful God, but someone that seems to be out there that you know exists, but you have a hard time believing that he is really interested in you? Is he the forgiving Savior, Jesus Christ, a good, merciful God that has demonstrated his love through the sacrifice of his son, a God who loves you, but you feel perhaps loves others more. Perhaps you would describe God as a loving father, that he is interested in caring for you and providing for you, and you've learned to begin to enjoy his presence. With that comes an understanding that God also disciplines us at times as a loving father to help us see the things in our life that might be keeping us from growing even closer or for helping to make him known. Have you come to recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you sense his presence on a regular basis? Does it grieve your heart when you sin and when you rebel against him? Has God become an intimate friend, someone who is deeply interested in you, someone you can rely on in every circumstance, and he's the first place that you turn every time you not only have a challenge, but that you have a celebration? Do you enjoy a daily friendship with the Savior? You see, God is all of those things that I've described and so much more. But who is he to you personally? How do you relate to him? God longs to become the deepest love of your life, to have first place in your heart, and to be the one who guides and directs every aspect of who you are and what you do. Too often we relate to God as a distant or somewhat removed person, but he sent his son so that we might not just be saved, Salvation is the beginning point of the journey, but it is not the destination. The end of our spiritual journey is an intimacy with God himself. It's actually union with him through faith in Jesus Christ. A gift that begins with salvation grows into a love that is better than life itself. So here's where we want to begin. We want to learn to encounter the fullness of God's love. In order to grow in our relationship and have our desire for him increase, we need to understand how much God loves us. Understand that we love because God first loved us. The Bible teaches us that God is passionately in love with us, and he calls us to be passionately in love with him. For example, how many of you have read the Old Testament book, the Song of Songs? or the Song of Solomon, it's sometimes called. If you have, then you know that it expresses a passion that is incredible. It's a love poem. 
And it's, uh, it's set within the context of the love between a man and a woman, but it reveals something deeper. It, it uses symbolic imagery in that song of love to show the relationship that you and I can have with God. Here's what he says. He says, he is my beloved and I am his. Listen to the pursuit of love that we see in the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter three, verse one. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchman found me as they went about the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? I asked. Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and I would not let him go. Do you desire God as the love of your life? The one for whom you would give anything to be with. The one that you would willingly search through the whole city in every street, in every square to find him. That's how God loves us. He has pursued us even though we were unfaithful. He delights in us so much so that he demonstrated his love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A God-sized love is where we need to begin. And it begins with God's love for us. In the Old Testament, it is called hesed. In the New Testament, it's referred to by the Greek word agape. It is a self-giving love. The reason God calls us to demonstrate our love for him by loving others is that his love is always one that is outwardly expressed. It is self-giving love. It is a grace-giving love. It's not one that is earned or deserved. His love pursues us. And that's why he calls us, if we are to follow Jesus Christ, to love others in the same way. So that brings us to the next thing, pursuing God. We begin, to, we begin by seeing a glimpse of God's love for us. But now we want to turn that towards a love that pursues him. There's a beautiful passage uh, in the song of the warrior poet that we see where he's pursuing the Lord. In the midst of a crisis, in the midst of failure and heartbreak. Let's read about it here in Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5. It's a psalm of David. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Isn't that an incredible, incredible song? One thing worth noting about verse 1, the verb seek is an unusual verb that is related to the Hebrew noun for the dawn. And it can be translated two ways, either as to seek early or to seek earnestly. 
Now, many of the translations in English translate it earnestly, but the King James translated it early in the morning. And the idea simply was, is that God is the first pursuit of our life. It's the first pursuit. He is the first pursuit of our day. This caused the early Christians um, to think of Psalm 63 as a morning psalm. And in many places, it was sung at the beginning of each day. For example, it was used this way in the early uh, Greek churches, and it remains as part of the liturgy for the morning within the Armenian church. It's a beautiful way to start your day, to begin by saying, Lord, or God, my God, I earnestly seek you. I want to know you. I want to give the first part of my day and all the rest of my day to you. Now understand, David wrote this song during a time of great personal difficulty. It wasn't a time of triumph. It was a time of trial. He was being chased through the wilderness by his own son. Absalom had rebelled against him and had gathered an army to attack David. You can read about it in 2 Samuel um, chapters 15 through 19. It gives you the whole story. But understand this. David's life was in chaos. One son had raped a daughter. Then Absalom, another son, plotted for two years to kill his brother in revenge. And David banished Absalom for two more years. And when he returned, he would not see him. He made some terrible parenting mistakes. But as a result, Absalom has now led an armed rebellion against his father and is seeking to kill him. So he has lost his job as king because his son has driven him out. He has had to flee Jerusalem because there was a coup d'etat. His family is in serious disarray, and he is literally hiding in the desert. Others come out to mock him and make lies about him. We discover and we read about it there in Samuel. I don't know how your week has gone, but if it seems like a a tough time, that's exactly the right time to write a psalm of praise, to write out some words to the Lord remembering his goodness and to recognize that he is better than anything this world offers. That's exactly what David did. In the middle of his deepest personal crisis, he worshiped. Can you imagine a heartbreak of a father whose son has rebelled against him to the point that he is seeking to kill him? A man who is at war, knowing that his death or the death of his faithful men could result at any moment because of a break in a relationship between a father and a son. David is a man banished from his home. He fled the palace and is in the desert. No comfort, no assurance, no family around him. He's in the midst of a terrible crisis. And yet, David, the warrior poet, writes that his deepest longing is for God. Does he long for his son and to make peace with him? Yes, but that's not the central desire of his heart. Does he long to be back home and out of the difficulty of the wilderness and of war? Yes, but he longs for something more 
meaningful than comfort. He longs for God himself. Look at the desire for God in the words of the warrior poet one more time. God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Do you see now why David is called a man after God's own heart? In the midst of the worst possible circumstances, his greatest desire was God himself. I want to challenge you to make that your prayer as well. To desire God with all that you are because you will only truly be satisfied in him. St. Augustine's well-known words say this, Our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. That's a truth. Your heart, my heart, will, will travel through the world searching for satisfaction, searching for meaning, but we'll only find it when we find rest in the Lord. David had discovered that God was the deepest pursuit. He was where meaning was. He says this as well. When it says he he seeks for him in the sanctuary, he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. It is the memory of those joyous moments where David encountered the Lord in in the sanctuary that make his present circumstances endurable. David's present rests in knowing that God's love is better than life. Even if he dies today, he will still praise him with all that he is. He says, your love is better than life. On my bed, I remember you. I think through the watches of the night, you are my help. Your right hand upholds me, he says. Even though he is cut off from the sanctuary in Jerusalem, God has not cut himself off from David. As Spurgeon said, there is no desert in his heart, though there was a desert all around him. David's past looked back and remembered God in the sanctuary, the times of intimacy with him. His presence remembers that his love is greater than life and David's future is secure and it will be one of great delight. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of food, with the singing lips, my mouth will praise you, he says in verse five, because God is the same and does not change. The one who has found God is able to satisfy his longings. In the past, he can know that he, that he counted on the Lord and he will show himself faithful again. He can trust him with past, present, and future. Verse 3 says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Wow. 
What a song. What I want to encourage us to do is to strengthen our desire for God by praising him as David did. To, to write out your own expression of worship. Think about what God has done in the past. Think about the love he has demonstrated to you through his son, Jesus Christ, and how you can trust him in the future. David was so abundantly satisfied with the love of God that he wanted everyone else to know about God's love too. You see, that's what happens. That's the natural outgrowth of truly experiencing the love of God is that we want everyone else to experience it as well. When we know God in a deep, intimate way, when we walk with him in faith, we desire to make him known so that others can have that relationship, that joy as well. So let me kind of review seven expressions that David has of worship here in Psalm 63. First of all, he extols the loving kindness of God with his lips in verse 3. He says, my lips will praise you. Secondly, with his tongue, verse 4, he says, thus I will bless you as long as I live. Thirdly, with his hands, in your name I will lift up my hands. Fourthly, his will worships the Lord. Verse 5, my soul shall be satisfied as with fat and rich food. He chooses God as his longing and not the comforts of this world. Fifthly, he says that with his mouth, my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Sixthly, his memory praises the Lord. When I remember you upon my bed, he says. In other words, from morning till night. Remember, this was the song of the morning. From morning till night, he's thinking about the Lord. Seventhly, and lastly, his intellect. He says, I will meditate on you in the night watches. David says that his thought process is consumed with God. And the remembering on his bed goes back to the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You see, David was practicing what God had commanded him to do. And in the midst of that, he found a love that was deeper than anything else he could imagine. David is confident, even though he knows there is a genuine possibility of death. He knows that the failure of his kingdom could happen at any moment, but he is sheltered under the mighty wing of God. Therefore, even when facing the worst of all fears, he is able to worship because God's presence gives him joy. For you have been my help, he says in verse 7, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Next we see that David's continual desire is to get closer to the Lord. My soul clings to you, he says in verse 8. And this word clings is one that's used of marriage. And it indicates an ongoing pursuit of love. 
if you've been satisfied by God, isn't it true that you will want to cling to him more and more? And if you're not clinging to him, it's because perhaps you've never truly sought him for himself and learned to be satisfied in his presence. Pursuing God is an important habit in cultivating intimacy with him. Consider the advice David gave to his son Solomon. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. That's what David wrote in 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9 to his son Solomon. God invites us to pursue him with all that we are. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord in Jeremiah 29 verse 14. So what's involved in pursuing God? Well, first it says to seek him. God wants us to seek him. He challenges us in his word to seek his face. We are to search God out, to strive after a deeper relationship with him. And we do that first and foremost by spending time in his word, by reading what he has written to us, what he's expressed of his own heart, of his own actions, of his will, of his desires to you and I. The place to begin that is with our desire. Tell God that you want to know him and then begin after you've, you've prayed and say, Lord, I want to know you desperately, then begin to invest energy in pursuit of him through reading his word, meditating on truth. Then take, take prayer walks, spend time in his creation, but choose to think about who God is. Choose to think upon his son, Jesus Christ. Call out to Jesus. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near, Isaiah 55, 6 says. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments, Psalm 119, 10. We're to seek the Lord. We're to spend time in his word. We're to get to know him. Then it says that we're to draw near to God. God wants us to continually approach him with sincerity with humility, and with repentance, in recognition that we don't deserve to come to him. But through Jesus Christ, our high priest, who was perfect, who is God who became flesh and dwelt among us, who willingly gave his life for us, he is our high priest, and he has made a way for us into God's presence. He calls us, though, to come recognizing our need and to repent of the areas of our life that are out of alignment with his will. Repentance is a choice to serve God rather than self and rather than our sin. But it must be more than just regret over how sin makes us feel or how it makes us look when we're caught. True repentance is leading towards a singular devotion. All too often, we say the right words to God but we're not being wholehearted. Choose to want to be near him and to remove anything that will hinder your relationship. That's what it means to draw near to God. 
and the promise is that he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's what he says in James 4, verse 8. So drawing near means removing anything that is hindering our relationship with the Lord. If there's a broken relationship that we need to mend, if there's a habit in our life that we need to surrender to him, the way to draw near is to repent, to turn around and walk away from that which is sin, that which is harmful in our relationship with the Lord, and to walk towards him. In the case of reconciliation with with relationships, God wants us to honor our relationships with one another as an expression of our desire to draw closer to him. And so that's why we're to forgive others. That's why we're to, to go to others when we've offended them and to seek forgiveness of them. So we're to seek the Lord. We're to draw near to the Lord, which means that we remove anything that's standing between us and him. And then we are to wait on God. God wants you to wait for him. Remember, he is God. And he is worth waiting for. His response to our desires will be according to his timetable. Waiting on the Lord means that we recognize that his plan and his timing is what's best. He knows all the information and how our life intersects with others as well. As we wait for him and we express our love for him in waiting and trust, we actually grow closer. Because you see, waiting itself is an expression of love. Here's here's another verse to remember. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. Isaiah 26, 8. Also, listen to this one. I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope Psalm 130, verse 5. What are you willing to invest in your pursuit of God? Will you seek him? Will you draw near to him, removing anything that would hinder your relationship with him? Anything that's not in obedience to his will and his word? Are you willing to wait on him? If we do, he promises he will reveal himself to us. Ask the Holy Spirit to make your relationship with God the highest priority in your life. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. That's Psalm 27, 8. And what is the result of this pursuit? We discover the greatest joy and the greatest beauty in all of the universe is God himself. David put it this way in Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. The beauty of God's presence, of his face, is an endless discovery. His character and nature is like a mountain from whose vantage point we are able to put every aspect of true beauty into perspective. This is where we must choose to spend more and more time. God's attributes are a vast plateau. They are all level in revealing his greatness and his glory. At times we'll find ourselves drawn to one aspect of God specifically that our hearts long to comprehend. 
But that is just one mountain peak. It's just one aspect of the discovery of the greatness and beauty of our awesome God. What we are to do is to choose to explore the vast mysteries and wonders of God. Knowledge of who he is is the foundation of our relationship. Intimacy is only possible to the degree that we know a person and that we have a right perspective on who they are and on what they desire. God wants us to know what he is really like, what his character traits are, what's important to him, what pleases him. The truth is, when you're in love with someone, you want to find out everything you can about the other person. Is that your experience with God? The Apostle Paul shared his prayer for the Ephesians, saying this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. To intimately know God and to love him with all that you are is the greatest commandment because it is there that we discover that his love is better than life. So what about you? Will you set out on the pathway to know God intimately? Not just know about him, but to walk with him. Ask the Lord to create in you a desire for him that exceeds every other pursuit of your life. Choose to trust him and treasure God above everything else, and you will discover that he is walking right beside you in the midst of the journey.